Today we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 9 and going through uh, verse 12. And what I find in this vision that Daniel has is God assuring his people who are living in the midst of the chaos that we talked about last week in the first part of this vision that Daniel had, encouraging his people that though they're in the midst of the chaos, yet he has absolute dominion, and they will one day rest in his coming presence. Do you know, asked Dr. Stewart, that God has wheels? A hot rod? One of my seminary classes many years ago, Dr. Stewart was teaching us or teaching on the overview of the Old Testament. And so he asked that question. And when he asked that question, do you know that God has wheels? I thought my professor had kind of veered off the straight and narrow and gone into some kind of crazy heresy. But the question sure got my attention. And so Dr. Stewart took us to Ezekiel chapter 1 and specifically to verses 15 through 21. And sure enough, God has wheels. God has a hot rod. Because there in Ezekiel is described this very strange gyroscopic type of structure with wheels. And Dr. Stewart continued to explain to us that this is a powerful image. You know, Ezekiel was in exile in Babylon about the time, along with Daniel. And so his vision in Ezekiel chapter 1 is very similar to the vision that Daniel has here in Ezekiel, in Daniel chapter 7. And so Stuart goes on to explain that this, these, this gyroscopic structure, God's hot rod in Ezekiel 1, shows us his, his, his omnipresence, that he's not bound by space and time, that he can be anywhere and everywhere at any time. It also points to the fact that God has absolute dominion over all. Well, I learned something about God that day from Dr. Stewart, that God has wheels, that God has dominion. And today we'll learn some additional lessons about God. We'll also see that in Daniel chapter 7, God has wheels as well. We'll also learn about God's purity, God's wisdom, God's dominion, and God's judgment now you remember from last week as we began Daniel chapter 7, the, the, the image that is depicted for us that Daniel saw and has told us about was one of human depravity and chaos. And today as we journey through chapter 7, we'll be looking at God's dominion. We're given a glimpse into the very throne room of God that is also the courtroom of God. And if you look at page 5 there in your bulletin, you'll find a sermon outline. We'll be looking at the first two points, looking primarily at what do we learn about God with regards to how the throne room of God is described, and then secondly, what do we learn about the future as we consider the throne room also being a courtroom where divine judgment takes place. And so today I want us to just to reflect a, a few moments on this incredible reality 
of while we live in the chaos, we have this very encouraging, very powerful and beautiful picture of God's dominion over all. And would you join me in prayer? Our Father, as we consider this your word that is about to be read, we pray, O Lord, that you would bless us and guide us and show us your dominion, encourage our hearts today with who you are, encourage our hearts today with regards to the future that you have for your people. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 7 as we read verses 9 through 12. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So Daniel begins this recollection of this vision by saying, as I looked, and so what was pictured for Daniel? And what do we learn about God and about the future from this vision that we find recording here? So the first thing I want us to focus on is the description of the heavenly throne room where we find God being an absolute calm. We find God being radiantly pure. We find God being described as being all wise. Last week, we talked about the chaos of the great sea in verse 3 of Daniel 7. And you remember the four winds from heaven came as if from four compass, the four compass points and stirred up that great sea, that chaotic sea. And out of that came the four beasts that we considered last week, representing the kingdoms of men. Out of chaos came the kingdoms of men, and we focused on the fact that it describes human depravity, that the, the sea and the chaos is emblematic of godlessness. When we look at the world then and the world now, we see anything but calm, right? Think of what we observe today in our world. Instability economically and culturally. Wars and rumors of wars, hostilities between nations, hostilities between ethnic groups, hostilities between brothers and sisters in Christ, hostilities in families. We see uncertainty, not just for today, but for the future. We see genocide, we see greed, we see terrorism, we see disease, death, loss. Now, you're probably like me. You have some cable television service. And as the saying goes, 600 channels and nothing to watch. Well, that's not exactly true. Although we may feel like that sometimes. 
We can't 24-7 news and severe weather reports. I mean, it's a wonder that all of us aren't in deep, deep psychotherapy because of the, you know, at any given time, there is a storm, a breaking out somewhere. And news 24-7. I mean, there should be so much despair and panic and stress because of all of this largely bad news, except for the human interest story from time to time that we might see just to soften things just a bit. Kings and kingdoms and men want to be masters of their own universe, but as we've learned already in Daniel, there's a, there's a stronger master right around the corner that's going to overthrow your little kingdom. And you and me, we want to be masters of our own universe, but there is a threat that is greater than the one we're dealing with on the horizon. And all you have to do is pull up on your computer program or your internet website, your 401k, and you will realize that your whole life can turn south in about two seconds because of trading on the stock market. Okay, let us pray and we'll be dismissed. <laughs> but you know what? It's just not today. Think of Daniel. Daniel living in the, in the midst of the chaos where he was in exile. <laughs> he had experienced the chaos. He would now, even though this dream is taking place uh, prior to the lion's den, but he would experience the chaos of the lion's den. Think of his three compadres, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the chaos that they endured as they suffered and prevailed there in the fiery furnace. Uh, you know, today God's people are living in a fallen world. It's, it's chaos, and we're in the midst of it. We may think that ultimate power, perhaps some in Daniel's day felt that ultimate power was in Babylon. We may think that ultimate power is in Washington, D.C., but the good news and the glorious news, and what I really couldn't let you go home without hearing, is this news, that ultimate power is God in heaven and he reigns and he has dominion and he is working in the lives of his people in the midst of the chaos and we see this so beautifully in verse 9 where God is described as the ancient of days and not only that but the ancient get this now the ancient of days is seated upon his throne I don't know about you, but when I've got something to do or when I'm stressed out or when I am engaged in the tyranny of the urgent, I'm not sitting. I am running around trying to make sure all my loose ends are tied up and I'm taking care of business. Not so with God. He is seated upon his throne, calm. The chaos of the world because of man's sin has not put him in panic mode. He is ruling and governing calmly, bringing about his purposes, even in the midst of the chaos. There's no tyranny of the urgent in heaven. The, the Ancient of Days is there engaged in cosmic governance, calmly sitting on the throne.
not stressed out, no panic whatsoever. He's not fretting about. He's not pacing from one end of eternity to the other end of eternity. That's laugh out loud because there is no end of eternity. But I just thought I would say that. I mean, God is not in a tizzy in heaven with all of this chaos taking place here on this earth. He calmly reigns over all. And why is that the case? For two reasons. First of all, he is the ancient of days. He has no birthday. He is eternal. He is not self-existent. He has always been. He not only ordained creation, he is sovereign even over the chaos that his perfect world became because of man's sin. And he's sovereignly using that chaos to bring about his, his purposes. And he's the ancient of days. And he is working in the lives of his people, but he's also pure and wise, as we see in in this text. The white clothing that we find in verse 9 points to his, his, his radiantly glorious purity. No sin, no stain. And then the his hair being like poor pure wool is an image depicting one with that has wisdom because of great age. Well, this ancient of days has no age. He is eternal. He has absolute purity. He has absolute wisdom, infinite wisdom. And so he's there calmly ruling and governing in purity and with all wisdom. And I want to draw an implication for us uh, today. God's people suffer in the midst of the chaos of of this world. We live in a fallen world. But our hope is exactly what Daniel saw in this vision of the throne room of God. God is reigning there in absolute calm, nothing causing him stress, We might picture this, he is so calm and so in control that in just the palm of one of his hands, he has the entire world and all of its chaos, where as we are in the midst of human history, it looks like everything is spinning out of control, but God looks down and not even a molecule is spinning apart from his sovereign will. It doesn't even get off its track unless he says, get off your track, molecule. That's how, that's how much dominion God has. And brothers and sisters, that should encourage us today in the midst of living life in this world that, that Daniel describes for us in the first part of the chapter as chaotic and so much godlessness because our God is in control. He has all of this chaos in his hands. He is using every episode of chaos to bring about his sovereign purposes. He's using it in your life to sanctify you and to prepare you for the glorious future that he has for you and for me. And we can rest confidently in him. He not only has the chaotic world in his hands, but he has you and me in his hands as well. Now, I'm just reminded of this wonderful passage from Isaiah chapter 41. 
You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what Daniel's showing us. That God is there in heaven sitting on his throne calmly but ever so ably upholding his people because he's also upholding the chaos of this world. Brothers and sisters, we can trust in our God. He has dominion. But as we also see from this vision into the, the throne room of God, that God is pure and that God is all wise. And because God is pure, he will not, he is holy and he is righteous and no impurity will be tolerated before him. And it is because of this that the throne room is also a courtroom. Because all the chaotic godlessness that is in this world, this, this chaos that has marred God's uh, creation, one day will be dealt with definitively by God. And so what does Daniel have to show us about the future as we look into this throne room that now has become a courtroom of divine judgment? First of all, in verse 9, we find, hey, God's got wheels that his throne uh, has uh, wheels, God's hot rod, and boy, is it ever hot. For this throne has fiery flames, and its wheels are burning. In verse 10, we see the flames were, were shooting out uh, from the throne. And I want to suggest to you like this, those flames shooting out from the throne symbolize the fact that God is the divine warrior that is upon his divine hot rod that can go anywhere and can find every wicked person and exact judgment upon them. What we have a picture is the definitive nature of God's divine judgment in the last day upon the wicked. No one will escape judgment. And if you are here today and you are not certain about your relationship with Christ, and if I were to ask you today, if you were to die, would you would be with God in heaven and you would say something like, well, I hope so. And then I say, well, if your hope comes true, which really isn't biblical hope, but if that humanly hope comes true and you do make it to heaven and, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I've been a good boy. Let me tell you, listen, that response will not stand up under this divine warrior with this hot rod with flames shooting out coming to exact judgment on the wicked. You will be consumed. And I would encourage us all today to consider the reality that Daniel sees and that we see through him with regard to divine judgment in this courtroom of God. His enemies have no hiding place. But we also see something else in the midst of this very sober and 
powerful image of judgment, we see something, and I, I want to say this, we see, we see something really sweet here. <laughs> you may say, what are you talking about? Because if we look at the text, we find in verse 10 that, that there are a thousand thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands that are gathered around this fiery, hot rod of judgment. And what that tells us is this. Don't get caught up in, you know, 10,000 times 10,000 and what that exact number is. It's indicating an innumerable host of the servants of God in heaven that are gathered there to serve God. That's encouraging. That's sweet because that means that God is gathering a people to come before him. And by grace, we are part of that. You know, it may seem today, I'll just draw another implication here. You, you may find, as I have thought of from time to time, that it looks like more and more people are choosing godlessness than godliness. And that is to say, it just seems like people around us, even some people that at least outwardly claim Christ, that they are sinking deeper and deeper into the chaos of sin. And like Elijah, who in 1 Kings was ministering uh, there in a very crucial point against the apostate Israelites, Elijah said, am I the only one left that really cares about God and righteousness? And, and maybe, maybe you have that feeling today. Maybe we have that feeling corporately as, as a church. And, and we begin to think, well, well maybe there are just fewer and fewer people. Well, let me tell you something. This image that we have here is really powerful because what it says is that even today in heaven and in the final day, there will be an innumerable host. And you and me, if we love Jesus, will be a part of that, that will be around the throne serving him. And again, what we need to do when we feel like we're alone, that maybe we're just the, the chosen few that really believe in righteousness and it's, it's so, we just feel isolated, think about heaven. And think about that innumerable host serving God in worship. And we have the blessing and privilege of being numbered along with that innumerable host because we've been united with Christ Jesus. We're not isolated nor alone. And listen to Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Yes, we can feel isolated, we can feel discouraged because our country is going down the tubes, and maybe even the church generally seems to be going down the tubes, but guess what? This world is not our home. This nation is not our country. Our true people is the kingdom of God, and our future is to be numbered among that innumerable host around the throne. Now listen, just consider that. And how encouraging that is to you and me today as we seek to live life, but we live life in light of this future reality of a host of saints serving God around the throne. 
At the end of human history, all will be gathered before the judgment seat of Christ. We see this in verse 10. The court is gathered, says the text. The court is seated. And the books are open, we read. And we ask the question, what's written in the books? And the answer is, the deeds of all who have ever lived. Every human being one day will come and stand before this judgment seat where the court is seated in session and will give an account. Listen to these words from Revelation 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. As the court is seated, as Daniel sees the session beginning, in verses 11 and 12, we have a summary of final judgment described. In verse 12, we, we read of, of three kingdoms. Those are the same kingdoms that we find in verses 2 through 6. Kingdoms that, as we've been talking about, rise up in power and then they lose their power and they pale and are replaced by another. And in verse 12, there Daniel sees, and we we are told that indeed these three kingdoms will rise up and they will fall, they will lose their dominion, but their lives will be prolonged. Now go back to verse 11. They're prolonged because the three kingdoms, meaning representing all the kingdoms of men, will ultimately be replaced by this final kingdom, the fourth kingdom, the fourth beast, with its leader, the little horn that we talked about last week. And in one sense, all of these previous uh, kingdoms that are represented by these three previous beasts will be be brought in to this fourth kingdom. So there's just one big mass of humanity represented by the epitome of an evil king and wickedness. And then we learn in verse 11 that the fourth beast will be killed, the little horn will be thrown into the lake of fire. What this is symbolizing for us is the final and ultimate judgment that will take place according to God's time. And here's the point that I want us to to see in this today. Remember last week when we were talking about out of the chaos of the sea came the, the this, these kingdoms and what characterized the kingdoms of men's depravity. But I said, depravity in the end, sin in the end will not win out. Well, here we see Daniel saying to us, righteousness will prevail. That there, there's a day coming when sin will be vanquished as well as the sinner judged. And the righteous in Christ will be vindicated. I want to draw an application once again for us today. And I want to make somewhat of a, I guess, a confession. Um, You know, it does seem from time to time that the good guys rarely, if ever, win. Have you ever thought that? And there have been times in my life where I've actually questioned Is it really worth living the Christian life? Maybe you've questioned that. 
Because it seems like, at least at times, that the harder I tried, I don't mean works-based salvation, I mean really seeking Jesus and loving him, <laughs> that the struggle even gets worse. And I've thought to myself, my goodness, if seeking to pursue Jesus faithfully, as faithfully as an old boy like me can, increases the struggle, is it really worth it? It seems like I take two steps forward and three or four steps uh, backward. It, it, it seems to me like the godless seem to have all the fun. The godless seem to have the best toys. The godless and those who really don't care much about Christ are economically, culturally, and politically, and socially a little better off than I am. Well, maybe you've, you've thought that over your Christian life as well. And here's my confession. That type of thinking, the type of thinking that I've described to you that I have done is an example of my perspective and focus being on the here and now and not in the heavenly throne room of God. And so ultimately, it's sinful thinking on, on my part. Because here's the exhortation. We're not, our perspective is not to be rooted in the here and now, but it, but it is to be rooted in the very vision that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. This, this heavenly throne room and this heavenly courtroom where we find that final judgment will take place and it will take place for God's glory but it will also take place to vindicate God's people. And so seeing life today from this vision that we're given of heaven is really encouraging. It is so encouraging that it, it promotes in us boldness and, and confidence and a real zeal to pursue righteousness and to stand for holiness and to seek the Lord. And we do so resting in the promises of God. And what is a promise of God? Listen to this promise of God from Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So he's talking about the wicked there. But now listen to what we find Moses talking about with regards to God's people. For the Lord will vindicate his people. And for me and my silly thoughts about is it really worth living the Christian life? Yes, indeed it is. For God's glory, but also in light that one day I will stand vindicated before the Lord because of Christ Jesus. And as we realize that promise as we live in that reality of what God is going to do, of what our future is going to be, then today our lives more reflect what the Apostle Paul wrote about to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
And my exhortation for you and me today is that we do exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us to do here, that we keep our eyes fixed and focused on that heavenly throne room where we see God as calmly ruling and governing in absolute purity and all wisdom every aspect of human history and this world. And where we see a picture of the future where, yes, the reality of final judgment is very, very real, but yet the glorious picture that is painted in words for us in Daniel's vision is that in that final judgment, God will be glorified and you and me and all of his people will be vindicated. The table that is set before us here today does show forth the ancient of days, the sovereign covenant God who keeps covenant with his people. The table that is set before us today declares for us the price that was paid that in the last day we will stand through the judgment and be vindicated the price of Jesus. And the table before us today reminds us of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which will be our topic next week as we look at the Son of Man coming in the clouds as we pick up with verse 13. But the reality is that there is a day coming that we see in word pictures in Daniel 7 and we see placed before us in this table. A day is coming of God with dominion bringing about final judgment and the vindication of his people. And my exhortation to you and to me is let us not get bogged down in the chaos. By God's grace, let us rise above it because our eyes, is fit, our eyes are fixed on the heavenly throne room and the heavenly courtroom. And let us seek the things that are above. Pray with me. Our Father, as we come before you, having heard the means of grace of your word, now, O oh God, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and minds as we come now to be strengthened with this, your means of grace, the sacrament. And Father, I pray that, that your people here today would be encouraged as we have learned some things about you through Daniel's vision. And we've been encouraged with our future one day by your grace that we will be gathered around that throne along with the host in heaven. And there we will spend eternity uh, with you. Father, bless us, guide us, we pray. I fill our hearts with this soul food that we will now receive. For Jesus' sake, amen.